Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. We now find ourselves in the 47th chapter of this great book of Genesis. And as we approach this chapter, I want us to stress a part of Joseph's character that we may have mentioned before, but not really stressed it. I tend to think of Joseph as a righteous man, a ruler that God had placed in the second highest position of all of Egypt. But in this chapter... I want us all to notice Joseph the politician. Though the Bible does not say, I believe common sense would tell us that to be in this office, Joseph would have to constantly be aware of his surroundings. He would have to know how people think, and he would have to know the why behind the action. He would be especially attuned to his immediate supervisor, the Pharaoh, he would anticipate and he would act accordingly. And I believe that Joseph learned how to speak. And I'm not saying that he learned how to talk or that he learned a new language. I'm saying he had the wisdom to apply diplomacy. And I believe this wisdom came from God to Joseph. Proverbs 21, verse 23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. 
was Joseph holy? There's no question that he was. Was he an extremely wise and shrewd politician? He would have had to be. And the two concepts are not mutually exclusive. So let us take note as we get into our reading today of Joseph's brilliance. He persuades Pharaoh to grant the land of Goshen to his family. Joseph knew the Egyptian view of shepherds. It's no mistake that Joseph told uh, Pharaoh of his family's occupation. It's no mistake when Joseph brings five of his brothers into court to meet Pharaoh that they all emphasize their occupation. Although Joseph was second in command of all Egypt, apparently he did not have the authority to give away land to a foreign nation. And there is an important exchange which happens here between Joseph, the ruler, and the king, Pharaoh. And don't miss it as we read now the words of the one true living God, Genesis 47. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob to set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my father's in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land and the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number of their families. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? for the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock 
and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of the Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land, by us and our land for bread? And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph brought all the land of Egypt to Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day, that Pharaoh should have one-fifth, except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years, so the length of Jacob's life was one hundred and forty-seven years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. As we consider the first 13 verses of this chapter, notice how smooth Joseph is. Joseph reminds Pharaoh of his early agreement to allow Israel to stay in Goshen by saying that his family members are already there. Pharaoh did not have a lot of choice in this matter. Joseph is incredible in this role. He was the rarest of men, it has been said, because he appears to be devoted to both Pharaoh's interests and his own family's interests. And these five brothers chosen by Joseph to be 
uh, presented to Pharaoh are not mentioned by name. However, Joseph being Joseph probably chose the best. And if you think about it, that's what you would probably do. That's definitely what I would do. I like to think that Benjamin and Judah were among the chosen, but we really cannot say for sure. Personally, I would have kept Reuben, Reuben and Simeon as far away from everyone as possible. That's just me. <laughs> it doesn't matter, though. Uh, I do think about these things as I consider the narrative, but really and truly, it doesn't matter. If it was important, God would have recorded their names, but he did not. Next, Pharaoh asked them what they do for a living. And this is a great question as he is wondering where they are going to fit into the Egyptian economy. Remember, at this point, there's still five years of famine coming. The brothers state that they are shepherds and they ask permission to sojourn, which means they are not looking to stay forever and they're not trying to take over Pharaoh's land. They only want to stay until the famine is over. And you need to notice what happens here. Pharaoh is a royal. He is the royal leader of all of Egypt. In modern terms, he would be accused of being shepherd phobic. <laughs> but the difference, of course, is since he is Pharaoh, he didn't care what the latest CCP, um, excuse me, I said CCP. I meant to say CNN. <laughs> he didn't care what the latest poll, the opinion poll, suggested about his popularity. Pharaoh was Pharaoh. So he addresses Joseph, if you'll notice in the scriptures, he doesn't address the brothers specifically. He tells Joseph that Israel can stay in Goshen, and then he offers the job of anyone capable among that group to take charge over Pharaoh's own cattle. So Joseph's plan and diplomacy had worked. Pharaoh, having seen the favor of God upon Joseph's governing in the affairs of Egypt's food distribution program, now wanted the same favor of God upon Pharaoh's own livestock. Think of this. Pharaoh has kept his promise to Joseph, and now he makes a job offer to the best brothers. Imagine being employed by the Egyptian government as the superintendent of the royal livestock. What a job. And with this business concluded, Joseph now presents his father Israel to Pharaoh. And remember, Abraham died at 175. Isaac died at 180. The only portion of the discussion between Pharaoh and Israel seems to be centered around Israel's age. Imagine again, if you can, this extremely old, even by ancient standards, this shepherd patriarch, Israel, standing in Pharaoh's court. And Israel is surrounded by structure, which would be... I wouldn't say necessarily completely foreign or alien to him, but certainly not the usual thing that he's used to being around and seeing. And imagine officials and psychophants, the jealousy, um, the manipulators that no doubt you would have in politics. But imagine all of this going on. 
And you can be sure that not everyone in Pharaoh's cabinet loved Joseph. Imagine the gold in the turquoise decor, the images of idols of false gods. All of this would be almost otherworldly to Israel. It appears that without being disrespectful, Israel doesn't even care about these things. I'm sure he noticed them. Who wouldn't? But we see in this scene that Israel realizes his role as one of the sons of promise. His covenant is with the one true and living God. What is Pharaoh compared with the God of Israel? And the reason I've come to all this conclusion is based upon what happens next in the narrative. It is in this setting that Pharaoh recognized Israel. He recognized him as being older than usual, and he asks Israel's age. And Israel gives his age, but he basically says, this is nothing compared to my father and my grandfather. And then Israel blesses Pharaoh. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the exact words of Israel to Pharaoh. History and tradition tell us that perhaps it was something like, long live the king, or we read in other places where they would say things like, may the king live forever, or in this case, may may Pharaoh live forever. The Pharaoh was, after all, among the Egyptians, he was believed to be a God-man. If the blessing, which happens twice in the context here, if it happens two times and it has words like this, it would explain uh, Pharaoh's question and why he was so fixated upon Israel's age. There's more here, though. There always is more. We know from Egyptian non-biblical literature that 110 years was considered old age. So the skeptic comes to the Bible, which records extremely old ages, and points to this as a reason that the Bible cannot be trusted. But apparently, the same skeptic would hold a very different standard for what history itself actually records from non-biblical sources. So on the one hand, we'll, we will accept this record over here because it's not biblical. And on this other hand, well, we can't accept that because it came from the Bible. Either that or you have to throw them both out if you're going to be consistent. So just something to think about. You know, the Bible states that Abraham was 175. And Egyptian records show someone living to be 110. So it's just something to think about. Why is one correct and one cannot be trusted. But let's get back to the blessing. A blessing from Israel indicates that Israel is the greater of the two, and even Pharaoh recognizes this. At the very least, Pharaoh knew that he was in the presence of a man of the true and living God. He has seen this demonstrated through the life of Joseph, the interpretation of dreams, and the famine that they are now in. They are now in. The most powerful ruler of the known world meets the man that God has chosen to lead the nation of God. And Israel lives another 17 years after this meeting, but who knows the impact? 
that he may have had on Pharaoh. Did Pharaoh ever convert to worshiping the one and true living God? Pharaoh had certainly seen the hand of God on Joseph, as I just mentioned. Now he sees the hand of God on Joseph's whole family. Only eternity will reveal the answer to this question. Before we move on to the next events of the chapter, though, I want us to take note of Israel's response to Pharaoh in verse 9. Israel states, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And this is probably one of the biggest understatements of all time. Let's review Israel's life or Jacob's life. He flees to Mesopotamia where he is taken advantage of by Laban. He suffers through the rape of his daughter and the slaughter of the Shechemites, which followed that. His beloved wife, Rachel, dies in childbirth. His oldest son, in a lust for power, uh, as well as other things, has incest or basically takes his um, uh, Jacob's concubine. Um, he has spent the last 20 plus years thinking that Joseph was dead. And compared to the age of Abraham and Isaac, yes, Israel's years were fewer, and they certainly were evil, and that is to say they were filled with heartache. And I didn't even cover it all. That's a very, very brief summary of the things that we have seen Jacob go through. So as I often do, I like to show from the Bible itself what I call internal proofs. If you've listened to other episodes, you've heard me do this many times, and I'm not the one who invented it, and I'm sure I'm only going to scratch the surface here, but here's just another example. From the description here in Genesis and in passages from Exodus 1, verse 11, Numbers 11, 5, and Psalm 78, 12, we get an idea of the location where Israel and Joseph's brothers settled. We know they were in the land of Goshen, and this particular tract of land is referred to in the Bible as Ramesses. And it probably bordered the Nile on the west and went as far as one of the uh, channels near the sea. They were in the northeast corner of Egypt, which kept them away from the majority of the Egyptian population. It was official, and Joseph did as Pharaoh had instructed. Joseph gave them the land and rationed out the food. And I point this out to you simply to say that if Genesis cannot be trusted, if Genesis is not accurate about these things, then we can't trust Exodus, we can't trust Numbers, and we can't trust Psalm, the Psalms. Why? Because they refer to these things as fact. With the covenant family taken care of now, let's turn our attention to Joseph's food distribution program, as I like to call it. And I want my audience to attempt to think of things as they were, not as the way things are today. There's no concept of the Bill of Rights, a representative republic, voting, free speech, demonstrations, welfare. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like that in ancient Egypt. So these concepts, which are very common 
to Western civilization are foreign to the Egyptian mindset in the ancient world. Slavery was legal. It was very legal. In fact, you find slavery throughout the scriptures. And it's interesting because the Bible tells us that we are either a slave to sin or we are a slave to Christ. Interesting how the Bible doesn't endorse slavery, but it refers to life in those terms. In other words, you are going to serve someone. So slavery is legal under this system. Religion and government are married. There's no such thing as the separation of church and state. And indeed, the state was the religion. And that is, in fact, what the leftists in my culture want today. They want no religion but the state. The point is, is that Pharaoh's word was law, period. Didn't go to committee, didn't have to be voted on and ratified and modified and repealed and whatever. If Pharaoh said it, that was the end of it. It was the law. Next, what's important here is the fact that the steps taken by the statesman Joseph were not the institution of a welfare system. The people were required to pay for the food. When they ran out of money, they offered the cattle and the possessions. And if you think about it, especially in an agrarian society where so much is dependent upon um, the crops and the cattle and all of the things that come from farmland and farming and all of those things, when you have a famine, your economy, which is based on those things, it's going to eventually fall. Eventually your money is not going to have value. As I've stated before about this time in Egyptian history, what good is my money when I can't buy food because there is no food? I can't eat gold. I can't eat silver. I need food to live. So when they ran out of money, they offer up their cattle and their possessions. And eventually all the land and cattle belong to Pharaoh. And then they offer themselves as servants to Pharaoh. So they, the citizenry basically voluntarily sells themselves into slavery. And there is, believe it or not, there's still human dignity in this system. And you might think I am crazy. And this may seem harsh to modern Western thought, but I want you to consider this. It was the idea of the people to become slaves to Pharaoh. It wasn't Joseph's idea. It wasn't Pharaoh's idea. And to give away food without work would stagnate the society and it would slow the economy even more than it already was. And as servants of Pharaoh, they had work to do. In other words, the government would put them to work. So there were no free handouts. And generally speaking, humans find value in work accomplished. A centralized monarchy will work if it is administered fairly and unselfishly. And this is what Joseph was doing. By allowing the system to be worked out in this way, the people 
retained self-respect. They did not starve to death and Pharaoh's kingdom was actually increased. And remember this, Joseph kept his part of the deal and he imposed a 20% flat tax on any grain they managed to produce under these conditions. The rest was for the people and their children. Imagine that, a fair tax scheme in a monarchy. Our representative republic, and notice I didn't say it was a democracy. I said it was a representative republic, which is what it is supposed to be in the United States. We cannot produce such a thing. We cannot produce a fair tax system. But yet here it is in scripture. So notice all that the people did. Uh, they did not complain. Um, but they were asking to continue to find favor in the eyes of Joseph. In other words, the citizens of Egypt are now the slaves of Pharaoh, and they like the arrangement. And now it's time for a J.O., James Opinion. Joseph did not want to make an exception for the priest of the false gods. That's my opinion. That's not what the Bible says, but it is my opinion. He knew their religion was false. And you will recall that the only people who were exempted from all of this were the priests of the false gods. And it seems that from reading uh, the, these particular verses, that it was Pharaoh who thought it was necessary to take care of the priest for their services and allow them to keep the land. The scripture points out that Pharaoh not Joseph, gave him the land. So Pharaoh was still Pharaoh, and it was still Egypt. It would be inconsistent with what we've learned of Joseph's character to honor false gods or honor their ministers. This also points to the fact that Joseph was under ungodly authority, but remained faithful to the one true living God. If my opinion is correct on this, it also shows that Joseph was not fully assimilated into Egyptian culture. He was a child of Israel, not a child of Egypt. And so it is with those of us who are born again, we often work and work for and submit to bosses. We submit to rules and governments who are far from God. In a very real sense, they are Egyptian and we are the covenant people. So from time to time, we must do things which might rub us the wrong way. However, I would encourage you to do your work as unto the Lord and pray for those in authority that we might live at peace. For the scripture tells us they do not bear the sword in vain. Obviously, if something is clearly unethical or it violates the clear teaching of God's word, we cannot participate. However... If those in authority ask us to do things which do not violate our conscience as Christians, we must recognize that, that when we obey them, we are obeying God. Christians should really be the best employees. We should be the best at our jobs. And we have certainly been pushed to some of those limits over the last two years. And so, friends, it is a matter of conscience. It is a matter of studying the scriptures and knowing where you would draw 
the line. I can tell you that, and if you've listened to this long enough, I'm sure you've picked up on it. I am not a fan of the way my government is handling its affairs. I'm not a fan. But I pray for my leadership in this country. I pray for those who literally hate my Lord. They hate Christianity. They would be fine if it was eradicated. Wouldn't bother them in the least. I pray that God strengthens the leaders, that he surrounds them with Christians, that somehow the truth gets in. But I also recognize that he has raised them up for this purpose. God is the one who puts kings in power. He raises up kingdoms and he tears them down. So friends, we're going to move on here looking at verses 27 through 31. We see that God continued to bless Israel even during the famine. And it seems perhaps that the famine was beginning to let up just a little bit. They were still able to have cattle, and there was obviously some farming going on. And while there may have been some, it surely would not have been enough to sustain the hard times without the stockpiles of grain which Joseph had stored. Remember, famine doesn't mean that there's absolutely nothing. It just means that there's not enough to sustain the population. So Israel makes Joseph take an oath. And that's what we find interesting here. And the oath is this, do not bury me. This is Jacob talking or Israel. Do not bury me in Egypt. And he makes Joseph swear. Swear to it, Joseph. You won't let me be buried in this foreign land. And he becomes satisfied with Joseph that Joseph will fulfill this request. And Israel bows his head and he worships God. So friends, this is where we're going to leave it for now. What a great way to end this episode with the one governed by God bowing in worship to that very same God. And may it be the same for our lives that we would be ruled by God through Christ and that we would daily bow before him in worship. again for listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith may you grow in christ in the study of the bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. 
Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged, encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him. <laughs>